You're listening to the Industry Alchemist podcast. The definition of alchemy is a seemingly magical process of transformation or creation. This podcast exists to hear the stories of entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders doing just that in their industry. We hear about the journey of the brave souls carving a new path, moving their industry and our lives forward in a seemingly magical way. This episode is brought to you by OfficeChief.com. Office Chief exists to make moving your office easy and painless. Moving an office can be a big hassle. On top of running your company, you're thrown into having to figure out what to do. Hire space planners, furniture companies, movers, IT consultants, the list goes on. It only takes two minutes to create a profile and Office Chief gives you a step-by-step action plan and connects you with the top vendors in your market. Moving your office? Log on to officechief.com and make it easy. I'm your host, Matt Brower, co-founder and managing broker of Column Commercial Partners, helping companies save money on their real estate. I'm also founder and CEO of OfficeChief.com, an online resource for businesses moving their office or updating their space. Hey guys, welcome to the Industry Alchemist podcast. Our guest today is joining us from his home in Los Angeles, California. After receiving his MBA in marketing, He started his journey into serial entrepreneurship and has a focus on identifying need opportunities in growing market segments that impact the greater good. His latest company is called Ozobot, which is an ed tech company whose mission is to inspire young minds to take the leap from consuming technology to creating it, which I'm sure that is not an easy task, uh, but uh, I've seen the little robots you guys make and uh, I'm sure it's very popular Thing that you have uh, on the market. So welcome to the show, Nader Hamda. Yeah, I um, wanted to learn more about uh, what you guys are doing. I want to learn more about what Ozobot has. I understand there's like two different, you know, types of robots and uh, you're basically teaching little kids uh, how to code, which is clearly the future. Can we start by just uh, jumping into how your entrepreneurial spirit started and i also want to know it looked like um what was the name of your first company uh having to do with uh, helping kids sleep better right that was actually my uh, second company it was called uh, it's called cloud b and cloud b yeah so i wasn't sure if that was also uh existed to help children or really help the parents since the kids were sleeping better <laughs> <laughs> well it's it helps both that's true. a happy sleepy child is a happy sleepy parent so exactly that's, how we look at it. <laughs> that's great no i appreciate you uh taking the time here to to uh, be on the show and uh i would i would die to be in los angeles right now however i'm not sure if the uh beaches are quite open yet uh, but they actually just started opening, uh, but I think over here we're, we're being cautiously optimistic. So uh, at least in the Los Angeles area, no one is going full full force. They haven't put the volleyball nets up, so there's that's one area to kind of slow things down a bit because we're all yeah. we all love to play volleyball around here. Oh yeah, yeah. beach volleyball is uh, is incredibly fun. Right. So. Yeah, so um, talk to me about, so you got your MBA uh, in marketing um, and have you always had the entrepreneurial buzz? Uh, Did you get a job right out of school? How did uh, you kind of jump right in? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, I would say, yes, I've always had that entrepreneurial buzz in uh, uh, even my MBA. My my thesis was 
writing out my first business plan on, on starting my own company. So even from an early age, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I got my MBA in New York. Uh, after that, I got in my car and drove out, out West and landed in LA and just started, I, you know, I had a, a, a marketing director job as my first kind of landing here. But as soon as I got that, I was already starting to think about what I wanted to do um, to start my own. I feel like I'm pretty opinionated. So sometimes when you, when you're, when you have that kind of mindset, you kind of want to at least test things out on your own. And so I started my first business uh, probably a, a year and a half after I landed here. Okay. And that was the birth of the internet or at least the growth of the internet in the mid nineties and uh, started building uh, web solutions, web websites, and grew that to intranets, extranets, e-business solutions, and grew with the net. And that was my first uh, venture into entrepreneurship. How did you? Uh, how did you? How did you choose LA? So um, I, when I was taking my my MBA, I was working for a company called Prodigy, which was they were competing with with AOL uh, on offering services, and I was working for their. Uh, marketing and advertising department and we had to shoot a TV commercial. So we flew out to LA to shoot our TV commercial. It was the middle of, uh, of January. So I left New York. It was a blizzard came out here. It was super nice. Even though we worked around the clock shooting the, uh, the, uh, the video and the commercials, it kind of, it stuck with me. I'm like, Hmm. And I flew back to, to New York and it was a blizzard again. I'm like, you know yeah. what? Um, I got to go where the climate suits my clothes a little better. And uh, as soon as I graduated, got in the car and came out west. Volleyball on sand is a little more com comfortable than on snow, I guess. I would, I would agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I've, uh, I love both cities, uh, New York. Um, both cities are very international. Uh, New York, I visited several times. Uh, the, the, I guess the best trip I had was just this last fall. Went there with several of my good friends and really got to experience that city through the, the food and the, the bars and the, you know walking through the neighborhoods and everything. Uh, hadn't hadn't quite done that yet. So, um, but yeah, I know uh, I've been there over Christmas and it is very very cold. <laughs> Yeah. I would agree with you. I, I, I love New York and I get an opportunity to go back there at least once or, or twice a year. And it's, it is still home uh, in, in many ways for me, but I kind of look at myself as a citizen of, of planet earth. I kind of look at every place I go can be home for a little while. And I travel in Europe a lot now and in Asia, every place has an amazing uh, culture and, and food and great things to offer. It's just, finding, finding what you want to find uh, is yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, that's great. So you, um, did you end up exiting your, uh, your web business or what did you do with that before getting into your next? Yeah. So my, uh, with that company, uh, we, we grew with the net and in 2000 was the first big dot-com bubble. And we had a cardinal sin where we actually had 70% uh, of our a of our ARs tied to dot-com builds. Uh, we were building for, for e-properties, e-toys, e-hobbies, e-this we were building. 
uh, they went chapter 11. So that was uh, a massive shock to our, to our ARs. And that was the beginning of the end of that. So quickly downsized uh, the company, uh, brought it down to a core group, mostly a core group that can think out, outside the box. And we kind of had a lot of think tank meetings and said, you know what, I don't care if we sell shoes. We just got to figure out a way to get off of this this uh, this ship and get into a different business that we can tap into our own skill sets, but also find need opportunities um, that we can make a, a compelling story around. Uh, yeah. And that's the, the so how did you come across that? Like, how did you find that need in the market to build your next venture? Yeah. So uh, for us, you know, for me, uh, I'm a big believer of uh, planning the work before you work the plan. So, and in planning the work, you have to do as much research as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were doing the, the think tank meetings, we were looking at all these different industries. We were looking at trying to find recession-proof industries, quote unquote, recession-proof, as much as 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 possible, because we were kind of gun shy coming off of the the web side of it. Uh, and it also coincided with the birth of my first child. And to that point about uh, the baby sleeping, uh, that was really one of the most life-changing events in my life. You know, bringing my my brand new baby home and experiencing a sleepless night. It was just earth shattering on so many levels. So, wow. How do I get my baby to go to sleep so I can go to sleep and my wife can go to sleep? And right. we did a lot of research around that. And we were able to validate that if you actually soothe the senses and you can quiet a sense down, you calm the mind and you can sleep better. So we validated that for adults. We validated that for kids. And so we built a business around soothing the senses. And that was the company Cloud B. And then the flagship products were called Sleep Sheep and Twilight Turtle, um, which soothed the senses of sight and sound. And we've also introduced the different senses uh, around them, but those were really the main two flagship products. And rolled it out. And um, it's kind of neat because I, I still see and talk to people that I that use this, the, uh, the Sleep Sheep. It's more of a sound pacifier to help the baby sleep. Um, so it's really neat to kind of see that it's it's still... It's still out there. Still out there. Are those yeah. the, uh, I'm, I'm wondering now if, if I've seen them, are they kind of, uh, parts of them are stuffed animal and parts of them are like a shell with lights coming out and they play music? That's exactly right. So the, the sleep sheep is, is, is a, it's basically a stuffed animal and it has a little sound uh, device in the back of it. It's got four different sounds. They're all water-based sounds because basically the first 10 months of a, of a, baby's life they're underwater so a water-based sound is more familiar to them okay. um, so we we focused on that um, the twilight turtle was uh, is a it's half plush half shell half hard shell and we needed the hard shell because we can basically carve out um, stars in them so when you turn it on it illuminates an entire night sky into the ceiling yeah. much more for helping children ease fear of the dark than it is to help them sleep. But it's also part of the sleep because if they're not scared of the boogeyman or the person in the closet, uh, the monster in the closet, they can go to sleep better. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have nine nieces and nephews and I'm pretty sure uh, of my three brothers, I think every single one of them had uh, for their kids had one of those. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was your company. <laughs> That was my company, uh, and it was really uh, an, an amazing journey uh, building those, and you know, hearing how it actually helps uh, helps kids and helps adults. Uh, always a 
rewarding to to, to hear uh, the good stories around that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so now then you carried your journey into uh, actually being involved in an incubator. Uh, was that to look for more opportunity or to mentor or all the above? Uh, yes, then after getting uh, able to step out of day to day from Cloud B, I took a year off to try to think about what I wanted to do next. Uh, and at this phase in my journey, it was really more about finding social impact as much as anything else and trying mm -hmm. to understand how we can continue to impart something positive. And also, I'm always looking at my own kids. They're, they're as much uh, teachers to my own life journey as I am helping guide theirs. Uh, and uh, in watching them grow and seeing uh, that I was in many ways part of the problem than the solution when I was giving them my phone as a form of a digital pacifier to quiet them down because they can just jump on some app. I saw that I was actually empowering this, uh, this addiction on, uh, on, on the, 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 the device and seeing them just swiping and swiping their entire personalities changed. Everything about them changed as soon as they got involved with this, with this smartphone. Mm. Uh, and that became something that I thought I needed to find ways to make that a more enriching experience. So did my research around that, uh, brought a core group that kind of started from my first previous two companies. They, they joined me into the building of this, this next one. We started doing a lot of research around, you know, how do we make this more enriching? What do we do with this? And at the same time, um, to me, robots were an interesting uh, kind of side path in looking at this research where I thought robots were not properly introduced to children at a young age in a meaningful way. Yeah. And when you start to look at robots and robotics in the, in the workforce, it's already pretty much ubiquitous in so many different industries that it was important for us to find a way to introduce robots to kids at a young age so they understand how robots work, they understand how to control a robot, how to manage a robot, but also how to work alongside a robot. So that became the thesis around how we wanted to introduce Ozobot as a, uh, as a brand that kind of introduced uh, really smart experiences with a tablet and with, with robotics. And from there, we, uh, as soon as we launched it, we immediately began focusing heavily on developing much more structured experiences for the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, so kids get to understand uh, not just, they, they get to really learn different curriculum, different, they also, everyone has to, has to go through curriculum and core and standards. And we found ways to incorporate robotics and STEAM education into what uh, curriculum already is so it's not a heavy lift for uh, for schools uh, but we're basically s systematically elevating curriculum to incorporate uh, much more uh, future ready skills global competence skills uh, the four c's all the different things that right now that we're looking at what are the skill sets that are going to be necessary to make students coming out of high school and, and out of college more appealing for the for the workforce, yeah, those skill sets are have changed over decades, but education has not changed over the yes these these same decades. 
So for us, we had to find ways to teach kids these, these critical skill sets, critical thinking, collaboration, um, problem solving, while they are still having to check off the standard curriculum courses. So are you then partnering with uh, school districts to have what you're offering be a part of the curriculum? Uh, we, we work with the school districts, yes. And we, uh, what we do is we don't really try to change anything that they're currently doing. We integrate with what they're doing. So as a, as a teacher, as an example, coming in from say uh, New York, they have certain standards and they have to finish an, an, an entire coursework over one semester. The last thing they want to do is try to figure out how do I incorporate a new tech tool that is kind of a cool little thing. First, I'm nervous about introducing a tech tool that my kids might know more about it than I do. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to solve for that. And then I, we, we have to figure out a way to go, okay, we're, if you have to, if you're a fourth grade teacher and you have to teach the, the, the digestive system, so we know you already have to do that. How do we incorporate the digestive system into our coursework with our robotics, where they're still checking that off, but in doing that, they're also triggering or checking off uh, A in, in uh, STEAM for arts, or they're, they're also incorporating uh, coding uh, while they're also learning a, uh, a, a core subject. So that's how we incorporate it. It's a seamless integration into current curriculum. So districts understand, well, pre-COVID, it was STEM was a very important kind of high buzzword and budgets were being available to incorporate STEM into curriculum. So that's how we spoke to the districts and uh, explaining to them that here's a solution that complements what you're doing while incorporating um, these future ready skills. So you've, uh, it seems like, and I was on your website, it seems like you, the use of the, the robot and the iPad and everything, you've essentially gamified this form of education for the kids. They're, they're kind of learning while having fun and tinkering with this little robot and having it, teaching it to do things. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, it's it is somewhat accurate. Um, obviously, you know, with my first story about my um, my daughters with a smartphone, they are that is a normal experience for them. They're used to a tablet, yeah. they're used to tablets, they're used to phones. So, continuing to embrace that that is their normal. How do we enrich that experience? So, mm -hmm. gamification, the leveling up, the unlocking, those are kind of tried and tried and true metrics in the gaming world that need to be incorporated into the education space. So they are unlocking, they're moving forward. Um, and it's, uh, it definitely helps continue to in, improve the engagement. Um, you know, calculus is calculus. It's hard to make, to gamify calculus. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, sometimes if you can unlock something and, and, and make it and introduce it in, in little bites, it becomes uh, more, uh, more appealing. Yeah, more appealing. Yeah, it, it is fascinating how I mean, I will watch they're a little bit older now, but I would watch my two year old niece, for instance, grab an iPad and just know exactly what to do with it. I just don't understand how it it comes so natural to little kids these days to know how to navigate these things. So basically, you're capitalizing on that natural form of 
how they already have that. And uh, so it's really cool what you're doing. And I, I understand that in now the world of, hey, we're all remote, at least for the time being, you guys have already shifted or maybe you were already shifted to doing this uh, virtually as well. They don't have to be in the classroom. That's correct. So uh, the big part of really uh, the COVID moment has really kind of brought a lot of, it's exposed a lot of weaknesses uh, in, in different industries. Uh, in education, it really exposed uh, a lot of shortcomings or a lot of areas that have not evolved fast enough with the infusion of technology into our everyday lives. Education is, has, has still kind of kind of almost stuck in the industrial revolution and has not evolved from a curriculum perspective, from an integration of ed tech uh, into, the, into the classroom. And so this was a moment where we looked at and said, okay, you know, for the last two years, we've been building our software a platform to integrate with our hardware. So the robots, one of the things that we heard from our, from our community, our districts, our teachers, they love it, the kids are engaged, but they can't quite quantify that engagement. Mm -hmm. And that's an important component to any education system and we understood that. And so we've, we've built a software component. So the bots at all times are delivering the information that they're reading either on paper or on tablets back to a dashboard for a teacher to understand and measure the success of what this lesson is, uh, is what the students are, are doing with the lesson. Um, with COVID hitting and understanding that all of a sudden everything went remote, uh, the remote moment became almost ubiquitous instantly uh, for all the students around the world. Yeah, And that became a moment where every school system said, okay, how do we now in, start to teach in this new normal? And being able to deliver solutions, uh, not just for the classroom, but for the home as well, became a high priority for us as a company because our robots are one inch in size. So they're very easy to uh, trans transport. And when we look at other uh, successful tech tools in the classroom, like the tablets and the Chromebooks and the, and the computers, the iPads, um, those have already kind of gone into a one-to-one -one model where in this moment, actually school districts are sending uh, computers, tablets, Chromebooks to their students to work from home. And that's what we immediately began to look at our solution our software solution has to be able to allow teachers to pick a lesson from our lesson library. We have over 3,000 lessons right now in our library. Wow. Um, it's all mostly community-based, and that was the whole genesis also is making sure that uh, for us to really elevate curriculum, it cannot be curriculum that we think is the right curriculum. It's got to be curriculum that is uh, made and built by the community of teachers that understand what is relevant in their in their geo regions uh, so they can introduce a lesson to, to their community. And then some other teacher from a different part of the country or the world can take that same lesson and incorporate it. Yeah. That context were basically taken uh, best practices from all different uh, teachers across the world to continue to, to, to elevate and be very relevant in what topics they are, they want their students to, uh, to learn. Uh, so we're able to give these lessons out, uh, get teachers to pick a lesson 
and then basically send a lesson, uh, shoot a lesson out to their students, uh, whether they're in the classroom, it's in real time, obviously, whether if it's, it's at, at home, they can submit a lesson through our platform, our, our Ozobot platform, which we integrate with other LMS systems like Google uh, Classroom. Uh, so it's an easy thing for a teacher right, that knows how to use a Google Classroom can then also um, know that Ozobot is integrated with that. Yeah. And send, send that lesson out to the student. Student does the lesson, submits it back, um, and that's how we're incorporating our, our whole experience to be relevant for the moment. So back at the very beginning, how was it that you, like how the, how the conversation go with your team of like, as you're doing this research on how to have an impact in this particular space, how was it that, hey, we're gonna, we arrived at, let's have this little one inch robot that we send to all of these students and build, you know, curriculum lesson plans or whatever on the back end of that. How how did all how did all that come to be? It seems like such a big task. Just me thinking about how to wrap an idea around such a big issue. You know what I mean? Yes, and to be you are absolutely right. It is a massive task uh, for us. Uh, at the same time, we don't really make even educated guesses ourselves. Our strength comes from our community. We are constantly, constantly um, asking our community what they, want, what they want from us. So in this moment was a, an immediate, uh, really offense on going to our community of teachers, educators, districts, librarians, asking them, what's the moment? What do you guys want to see from a company like us? How can we, how can we help? Um, we're always in the business of helping. How do we, how do we become part of the solution? And I would say the first, uh, the first things that came back from our community was they really wanted PD. They wanted professional development help in this moment. Hmm. So we immediately started developing uh, our, our professional development program, our, our PD for our, our teachers to gain the PD credits that they, that they were asking for. And in that same vein, you know, we were asking a lot of questionnaires, a lot of feedback from our community. And, you know, we saw the writings on the wall that uh, back to school is not going to be uh, what it was pre-COVID. It's going to be some sort of a hybrid, at least in certain places, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And for us to continue to be relevant, because we're looking at our solution, we want to be able to impart a, sol a solution at a, at a global scale to elevate curriculum and to elevate how we're teaching students. Mm -hmm. It's no longer going to be focused on, you know, we're, we're teaching um, one way in one region, but another way in another region. These, these skill sets that the business community is looking for is global. They're not really looking for, um, critical thinking in, in Europe, but not in Africa. I mean, critical right. thinking is critical thinking. So everybody wants the same thing. Right. So um, the way we look at it is our solutions, we have to think macro right away. So that's a common theme. What you just said is a common uh, theme that I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people that are, you know, guests on this show is that, you know, one, one way to do uh, this entrepreneurial journey is to just, come up with an idea 
and shove it into the marketplace. And what I'm hearing more and more of, and I just heard it from you too, is your customers, your future customers are actually your partners in helping you build a successful thing or a successful service or, and their feedback and their partnership is actually critical to success long-term. That's, that's like absolutely that's, right. Yeah, sounds like that's really what has made your guys' job that much easier and how you came up with what you currently have, which is the, the little robot and the curriculum, the, the 3,000 lessons that you now have. Right. Uh, we, uh, we're as good as our, as, as our community that uses the, the product. So it makes sense for us to make sure that we're building what they want. And when we built out the, the initial software package, which is Ozobot Classroom, which communicates uh, with our robots, with our Ozobots, um, that was done in collaboration with over a thousand teachers uh, over a course of a year. Uh, we, we go to a lot of the education trade shows Part of them coming into meeting with us at the booth is that they fill out the questionnaires that we have after they go through the, the experience with us. Now that they've, they've seen what we're doing, the integration of our LMS system, um, it's fresh in their minds and we go, okay, now based on what you just saw, what do you like about it? What you don't like about it? What would you like to see us add to it? And this was all during the R&D phase. So we were kind of using our trade shows as almost a lab, an, an R&D lab, to show them what we were wanting to build for them. So, and it's been, it's been an amazing uh, process and I recommend it for almost, for any company, Nick, you know. Yeah. Building it for someone, make sure that that someone is involved in the creation with you. Is <laughs> gonna buy it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, it's like having skin in the game almost, right? Right, exactly. How big, uh, how, how broad are you guys at this point? Are you, I would imagine you're all over the, the U.S. Are you, uh, are you in other countries? How, how far out does it go now? Uh, we're in about 20 countries. Uh, obviously, the U.S. is our, is our, main, uh, our, our main market. Uh, we've picked, the, uh, when we first looked at it, we also looked once again on a macro scale. How do we kind of impart this, uh, this thought uh, across the globe and we picked influencer nations that kind of hit some criteria for us in terms of how forward thinking they were with in incorporating STEM computer science into mm -hmm. their curriculum. Um, how connected are they in terms of their connectivity in their, in their classrooms? And we ended up picking Korea and France uh, from both of those regions about five years ago as areas that we thought were um, countries that we uh, that we identified as countries we wanted to uh, develop uh, our solution there. And part of our um, our building mechanisms is to, uh, you know, you you start early, you start with a couple of schools and then you you go into provinces and you get uh, get more and more visibility. And eventually um, with those countries too, it's much more top down versus here, it's a little bit more bottom up. Individual districts can make their own decisions. Yeah. In other countries, it's much more ministries of education. So with those, we made sure that we continue to kind of elevate and get the, the check marks that we needed to be approved by the ministries of education in those countries uh, to be incorporated into their solution, into our edtech solution into the school systems. So countries like Korea and France, we were approved by the ministries of education uh, to be incorporated. And that's how we begin kind of proliferating at a much more uh, top-down approach. Yeah, and that almost seems like it's uh, 
easier to get implemented into their system if it's top down versus having to, you know, meet with every school district and in the U.S. and kind of bottom up approach seems like a lot more, uh, a lot less centralized, a lot more meetings, a lot more selling. Is that accurate? It's somewhat accurate. I mean, there are challenges to to both for sure. Um, you know, the size of the U.S. market, there is nothing like it. Obviously, what China is a big, pretty big one, but that's almost like a black box and and how you can uh, you can proliferate properly there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say ultimately, with um, with places like um, France or or Korea, it's a smaller market. So. Uh, and it's there's the localization components that that, that you have to get uh, add that to the whole roadmap and the rollout strategies, and it has to be trigger based on volume. I mean, if the Ministry of Education says yes, we love it and we can be approved, the volume may still be not as big as as even just one state here. Uh, oh, got it. More. So it's a lot of time for us. We have to pick and choose where we allocate the resources or even of our own human resources and where we put our, our energy in. Because uh, as you mentioned even earlier, what we're building is a, it's a massive ecosystem. It's an entire platform. And we're a smaller group. We're only about 40 people building, uh, 40 people company. So um, making sure that we're allocating the resources to the right area. We, we allocate our resources in building the classroom correctly or in localizing. Uh, to a to and to uh, the needs of of Korea or or Germany or or some other country. Mm -hmm. um, so this has probably caused you to uh, you know travel a lot as well for work. Uh, well, pre COVID, yes, I was traveling. Pre -COVID, a pre, lot. Yeah, pre COVID, probably over the last several. Pretty years. stationary right now. Yeah, um, I know. Uh, I remember our last conversation. We kind of touched on travel a little bit. So I know you're you're a big traveler as well, like I am. Um, what, what's the, uh, some of the cooler places that you've been either for, for this company or just for fun? Well, uh, one of the places that I, it's very cool. And I always go to is, is the Czech Republic is Prague. We actually, uh, have an office there. So it, it brings me there at least once, once a year. Oh, um, it's like, looks like a Disneyland for real. It's just this amazing place with beautiful castles and, Everything is so pristine, so I, I always love going there. And then from there, I have access to kind of going to other countries around that area. And just the people are amazing, it's so super friendly. And um, I just I really enjoy that that part of the world. Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah this is exactly what I was actually in Prague last um, July, August for the first time. And the cat, like, it's just, it's what you picture exactly what you're saying, Disneyland. It's just castles everywhere. And just, I don't know <laughs> how they built all this way back in the day, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely magical. Yeah. Then I also love, love going to Asia because, you know, with, with, with Korea being one of our, our first and largest uh, internationals, I, I go there quite a bit. Um, there's opportunities to speak to uh, the government officials there and also to the press there as we're becoming uh, more uh, more prevalent in the school systems. How long have you been in that country in particular? You're like Ozobot. Uh, in Korea, I think we're going on four years now. Ooh. 
So it was about, because uh, the company's about eight years old, right? Maybe a little company, more. Uh, 2014. 2014, okay. Oh, so you actually entered, uh, entered that market shortly after. Uh, yeah, so yeah. That's great, quick growth. Yeah, yeah. Your, uh, your team must be doing something right. <laughs> You know, well, our our team is a collection of our community. So we are uh, we have a passionate group. Everyone, I think that's one of the big things when you're also bringing on team members. It's important that culture is a very uh, important piece of of building a a strong team. But believing in the vision and believing in what we are doing is just equally as important for us. And at least I, I believe to a person that's on the team. We all believe that we are here to to, to help uh, bring education to another level, so that makes it a much more rewarding uh, journey for all of us. That's great. So that's your like uh, the vision that you guys all have. That's like the the common purpose you're all doing this for on a daily basis. That's uh, that's what you're all out to to cause. It's incredible. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so needed, just like uh, what you were talking about in the very beginning of this conversation, the curriculum that we have been taught has not changed for decades. And this is probably a very big reason why a lot of people say, oh, you know, in terms of technology, a lot of these other countries are actually surpassing the U.S. because, because we're not changing much of our curriculum. We're not focusing on these you know, these STEM uh, uh, subjects, I, I don't know what you call them, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, so good for you guys for actually causing a shift in that place. And I think with all of this happening, uh, COVID and working more remote and going to school remote, I think interjecting technology into our daily lives is, I mean, anything that has technology behind it, I think is going to, this is going to catapult um, us further down that road. And you guys are already several years ahead of the game, so. We feel, I mean, there's there's no way that technology is going away. No. <laughs> so it's it's the reality of, of, of what it is, you know, tech, technology in it of itself is very addictive and it's, it's hyper growth uh, versus even spirituality, which is much more linear growth. So mm -hmm. it's so important for us with technology being uh, really kind of introduced into all aspects of our daily life that our children have a greater understanding and a deeper respect for it and not just take it for granted and use it in this, as you, when you first mentioned me, like the consumption versus the, uh, the creation. Mm -hmm. If they're just consuming it, they're not going to respect it, and they're not going to respect that it can actually not manage correctly, um, not produce the best outcomes. Yeah, no, that's a great point. What is uh, what's ahead for you guys? What what uh, what does Ozobot look like five years from now or ten years from now? Do you have a vision kind of set that you're uh, you're trying to achieve? Is it additional products? Is it more global growth? What are you guys focused on? Well, we're continuing to focus on, on delivering content and empowering the community to, to help shape curriculum. So how, whatever that means from a product roadmap perspective, 
uh, it's very important for our software component to continue to always deliver to the teacher as much information as a teacher needs mm. uh, to be uh, as efficient and effective as, as, as they can be. And from the hardware perspective, just like with the phones and the computers, and when you think about, you know, I'm a... I'm on every other version of my phone. I always skip a version and then buy the next one. I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm stuck on the, on the even numbers now. And so (laughs) I go to the even ones and I can, I get one, but it's also because even on the hardware side, uh, technology is moving very fast. So it's becoming more efficient. You can get more power, more. And we're also the same concept with our robots. Uh, We listen to our community, like the community right now they, don't, they didn't realize that we can do K to 12 with our solution, all subjects. We don't just focus on, on coding and, and STEM. We're, we're in, infused and integrated into every subject. So as a teacher gets the product, um, they start to realize, oh, I can actually not just do my biology, but I can actually also do English with this. So it's becoming more and more of a workhorse in the classroom where the one we're hearing from our, our community is, it'll be great if your battery life can go a little bit longer so we can actually use it for multiple lessons or multiple classes and not just once a day. So that would be something that we would look to incorporate in, in future builds is a much larger battery life so we can accommodate what we're hearing from our community. Got it. How easy, um, how easy or difficult is it for a teacher to implement this um, into their daily job, basically. They get, they, you know, they get the package from you guys and learn a little bit about it. How easy is it for them to kind of push it into what they're doing every day? It, for, for us, we looked at, you know, who are we solving for? Uh, we're, and it comes down to making sure that we're delivering a solution around the primary person we're solving for. And the primary person we're solving for is the teacher. Um, the user is the student, but the primary person that's using it is the teacher. And so our number one goal is to make it as simple as possible out of the box. The teacher can take it out of the box um, within about a 45 minutes of, of learning how to use the product in the multiple different ways because we, entered, we have a patented color command language. So they learn how to use the, they can code the, the bot through colors. They learn how to do that in about 10 minutes. They learn how to then... Uh, elevate to the next level, which is using our, our visual programming language, our um, blocks, understand how that works. And right off the bat, they're ready to go. They're within about 45 minutes, they can begin teaching their first class with Ozobot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we have a very simple search criteria. So they go into the lesson library, they go, hey, I'm a sixth grade teacher. I teach math and it automatically pops all the lessons that are, and I'm from this state, these are my standards, and it just pops all the lessons that are available to them and they just plug and play. All of that is included. It's like that that simple, it's that easy to navigate. It has to be, or you you won't get the adoption. Right, yeah, that's a great point. So if um, for the listeners, uh, anyone that's interested in learning more, contacting your team, to maybe get a demo, what's the best way for people to find you guys? The best way is, is ozobot.com. Um, on there, it's a little bit of an explanation about all of our one-to-one programs. And actually you can request a demo right off the, the, the homepage. 
uh, on, on ozobot.com to, to get a full demo of how we can integrate uh, with your school systems. Uh, and otherwise, you can just you can also hash, hashtag Ozobot and give us a shout out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and we're, when we post uh, this episode, we're going to be uh, putting all the links on, uh, on everywhere as well. So everywhere we post. Awesome. So um, where's the, uh, once, we, once we're able to travel again, where's the next uh, trip for you? The, Medi the Northern Mediterranean area I've just fallen in love with. Uh, so that's an area I always love to go back to. Um, the, the Adriatic Sea is just an amazing area. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, I always like to go back there to just like unwind. Um, I do have family in the Philippines, so I'd love to always just, it's a whole other side of the, of the world, but to go back there as well. And then I think you and I spoke about, you know, ancient civilizations, and I always like to go and just kind of read up and become a student of, of that. So there's a, quite a few countries that uh, I need to go check some of those, uh, those ancient ruins. Yeah. Come up with my own theories about them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. I um, God, I don't know. I I have so much more to explore. I'm not sure where my next uh, uh, trip will be, but probably Spain or something. I haven't, I haven't done some of the European countries that I've been meaning to do for a while. So yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to hopefully by the end of this year, things will get unlocked. We'll see. Knock on wood. Yeah, Getting the itch. <laughs> Stay positive on that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So just a couple uh, personal questions, uh, rapid fire to, to kind of wrap this up. And again, I appreciate your time uh, just for, the, for us to kind of learn more about what, uh, what drives you and maybe some habits that you have to help you be successful. Do you follow any sort of morning routine or any sort of ritual that kind of serves you uh, as an individual so that you can you know, be your best self when you're working with your team at Ozobot? Uh, meditation and uh my workout is in the morning uh i do about a, a half an hour workout and a half an hour walk and that just clears my mind i do some 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 deep breathing just to kind of bring back uh bring back to to ground level i make sure that i uh i speak out about what i appreciate in life and why i'm grateful about something Mm -hmm. Something I've actually learned from one of our, our, our own sales members who always kind of, we have lunch and learns at our office where one of our sales team members uh, was always speaks about waking up every morning and being grateful for something. So I've adopted that too. And you know, that's always a great way to, to uh, start because yeah. you can always focus on the negative if you choose to, but I, we, it's, it's always good to start focusing on the positive. Yeah. It's like a mindset. Uh, yeah. gift every morning. That's great. I'm going to have to, uh, I do, uh, get present to gratitude, uh, you know, exactly. when I think of it, but yeah, it's uh, working it into a routine would be helpful. <laughs> and then uh, last question. Are there, uh, yeah. It just, um, yeah. Are there any books or, uh, that you've read or individuals that you follow on social media or anything that have been super impactful? in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, well, from my entrepreneurial journey, the book is by Gerber, uh, Michael Gerber, I think. It's the the E-Myth, the Entrepreneurial yeah. Myth. It's a yeah. great book for, for first-time entrepreneurs, even, even people that have gone through it, just to re-remember 
to work on the business as much as in the business because yeah. it's so easy when you get into the, into the thick of things that you're so focused in the business that you don't take a moment to kind of step out and look at it from a macro scale. So I love that book. Um, other books like The, the Power of, of Now uh, is another amazing book that I love yeah. uh, to, uh, to share because it just it really reminds you to focus in the moment and not always like project forward or regret the past because then you're never quite fully aware of, of your moment. That is, uh, is that the one by Eckhart Tolle? Eckhart Tolle, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I think that one's in my queue on Audible and I have not started it yet. Uh, it's, it's a great read, it's a great read. Cool. Well, I appreciate uh, your time again. This is fascinating learning more about Ozobot and kind of your history and what led you to what you're doing now and where you guys are going. Uh, very needed, very cool technology you guys have. And um, we'll look forward to seeing what's, uh, what's next for you. Thank you so very much for having me. Great. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. You do the same. Take care. You too.